This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is an unofficial, we'll say non-liturgical holiday in the life of the church. Today, as I mentioned, is the beginning of a program year, or as we call it in these here parts, Rally Day. Rally Day is actually what we used to call it in my church growing up. So there's a certain comfort, there's a familiarity for me as we begin a new program year. As we welcome back our Sunday school students and our choirs and our bells, as we sing out and praise in new and exciting ways. As we worship not just once a Sunday, but now two times a Sunday once more. And as we gather for any excuse we can to have some food. Whether it be out in the parking lot with tacos this morning with biscuits and gravy, or even, even at the communion table with goldfish in a few moments. Today, we are reminded by Jesus, where two or more are gathered, there I am. And I've done a quick count this morning. We have quorum. We have two or more. Therefore, God is here among us. And as I mentioned in this meal, we'll experience the very real presence of Christ in just a few minutes as well. Jesus shares with us that reassurance that were two or more gathered in my name, I will be there with them. But Jesus knows another truth. Jesus knows there were two or more gathered, there will be conflict. Where two or more gather, there will be division. Therefore, Jesus prepares us for that reality. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true in our homes. Look, guys, I grew up with three brothers, right? We had quorum quite often. And let's just say there were disagreements over the years, right? Maybe it's not at home. Maybe it's at work, right? Maybe we have those disagreements with the people who we work alongside of or two or more are gathered. We're going to disagree. And dare I say, could it be true? where two or more are gathered, even in the church, there may be disagreements. Yes, we may disagree with each other as the body of Christ. In fact, I love it today. Before the church itself even comes into existence, 
Jesus is preparing us for the conflict that is sure to arise. Jesus is teaching the community of Christians how it is that they are to best handle such conflict. Because what defines us as Christians is not our ability to be above reproach at all times, to avoid disagreements or fights, or to even avoid disappointment. Jesus is reminding us what makes us Christian is how we respond in the midst of disagreement. How it is that we come together when one has sinned against us. How it is that we will resolve conflict, putting forward reconciliation instead of retribution. But before I go any further, I do want to give a quick shout out to whoever created the Revised Common Lectionary, whoever assigned this gospel today because it is a chef's kiss of an assignment, right? Whoever designed this knew that today was going to be a rally day, knew there was going to be excitement, and knew, yeah, we better start off the year with a reminder how we're going to anger each other and how we should best handle that frustration, right? They knew, they knew. Narratively here, Narratively, there's a lot going on in our gospel to catch you up a little bit. Jesus has set his eyes on Jerusalem. He has set his eyes on what will be his final destination, at least in this life. And as Jesus is along the way, we know that he's going to confront some conflict. He's going to be confronted by the Roman Empire. He's going to suffer and then die. Notice... The conflict that Jesus is pointing us to today is not the conflict with the powers that be, not the conflict with the Roman Empire. No, no, no. It's the conflict that exists in the ecclesia, or as we English speakers call, the church. Jesus is worried about how it is we respond to conflict in community as people who bear his name. And so Jesus does what any good leader of a faith community would do. He holds a workshop. Conflict Resolution 101. And he's inviting in his followers to listen closely. And it starts simple enough. He says, if someone sins against you, what you need to do is pull them aside privately and have a conversation. Let them know of the offense. Let them know how it's impacted you and seek reconciliation in that way. Now, I know what you're thinking. Boy, does that sound easy. Yeah, well, it's not, okay? It's not easy. It's hard to go and to tell somebody that they have hurt you, that they've sinned against you, that their actions have caused you discomfort or, dare I say, harm. But this is the starting point. Now, it is easy, I will say, to call out strangers in that way. I can sit at my computer and yell at strangers all day. I'm real good at it, right? With the safety net of, you know, the privacy of my own home and a keyboard. I can call anyone out. But Jesus isn't telling us to call out those people that are random, that we don't know. No, no, no. This is the ecclesia. He's saying confront the people in your own community, the people you share your faith with, people who I dare say you even love. Go. Go to them and let them know how they've been hurt or have hurt you. And that's hard. That's a risk. That's challenging, to say the least to be able to go to someone and do that. So Jesus leaves the door open. He says, well, if that doesn't work, then what you're going to do is you're going to get a couple people to come with you. And you're going to go together. You're going to try again. And they're going to be witnesses, not to the offense itself, but witnesses to this attempt at reconciliation. 
They're going to be witnesses that you're trying your best to move forward and to move forward together. He says, if that doesn't work, then you're going to go to the larger church. You're going to get council involved, and now your council meeting's an hour longer than it was supposed to be. Pastor's not happy, but we've got to work through it, guys. And he says, and if that doesn't work, finally, finally, you can do this. And, and, and I quote, I want to make sure that I get this right. Let such as one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, I read that. At first blush, it sounds like I'm getting to go like this. Well, I tried. Now you're a tax collector. Now you're a Gentile to me. You're the other. Don't need to bother with Until we remember what got Jesus in such hot water with the empire in the first place, namely that he ate with who? Gentiles and tax collectors and sinners. Now we've got a problem. Because what Jesus is really saying isn't that you can just push these people out of your life. Instead, he's saying, no, no, no. These people are now the focus of your mission. These people are at the center of your attention. These people are those for whom you should be seeking out that you may find relationship once more. And this, this comes with language of binding and loosing. Language of confession. Language that leads from confession to reconciliation, confession to restoration. Because the focus for Jesus here is not retribution, but reconciliation. It's restoration, not punishment. The whole aim here is to bring back into community that person which has been removed from your community. And he's really clever. Because before he does this whole sort of workshop, he sets him up with a parable. Maybe it's one you know. He talks about a shepherd, right? A good shepherd, perhaps. And this good shepherd has a hundred sheep. One of them doesn't listen. One of them just leaves the community and goes away. And you know what that good shepherd does? Goes and seeks out that one who's sinned, the one who's left, the one who's decided they don't need to be a part of the fold anymore. So as the disciples hear this, as we hear this, we have to be reminded that the mission is to reach out and to go find. And when the good shepherd finds the one who left, you know what they do? They eat. They have a party. Because of course they do. Because that's what we do. You celebrate when you come back together in community with each other. And again, it sounds easy, but we live in a world where we really like to just write people off, where we like to just say, we're done with you. And it's made even easier, if you think about it, because in social media, you know what I can do? I can unfriend you. Simple as that. Or, not that, it's the real world, I'll just block you on my phone. I won't even know you tried calling me. And if that doesn't work, we can just ignore you. Pretend like we didn't see you at Jewel, right? Just pretend it never happened. See, that's how we tend to operate. Now, sometimes, sometimes, it is necessary that we remove people who sin against us from our lives. Do not get me wrong. There are circumstances, there are situations where removing somebody, creating that barrier, is the healthy thing to do. But what Jesus is saying is as a community in Christ, our initial inclination, our first thing, should be to go and go through a process seeking to bring that person back, to find restoration, reconciliation, and resurrection. 
and I'm really proud of this actually, is, is the body of Christ here at St. Paul. Because we have started to lean into what this can look like. We do it, most notably, when we welcome new members into our community. And I want to share with you a piece of liturgy that we've embraced over the last few years that is a part of that welcome. And I want you to listen to how this liturgy reflects what it is that Jesus is reminding us of today. Here we go. We, the church, also acknowledge that we will fail you. This congregation will both embrace and resist change. Sometimes we will disagree and make mistakes. So we ask that, on this side of disappointment, you promise to stick around for the healing that surely comes. Because if you go before the listening and the mending, you will miss the holy thing about being the church. The dying and the rising. The forgiving and the living. So, do you desire to become members of this body of Christ, investing of the future of the shared mission and ministry? As a congregation now, when we welcome new members to the body of Christ here, we tell them we're going to make them upset. We let you know we're going to disappoint. We make it clear that that's what happens when two or more gather. And it's okay. Because when we say it, we allow for that second part. We allow that in the midst of dying, for rising to also happen. That in the midst of frustration, for there to be reconciliation. And that is where Jesus is pushing us today. He wants us to see this is not easy. Living in community, even in my name, is going to be difficult. So difficult, in fact. Next week, we're going to hear Peter's response. Spoiler alert, you didn't hear it from me. Peter's confused. Go figure. You know what Peter says? He goes, yeah, yeah I get it. Like, you have to forgive like seven times? Are you sure? Jesus goes, seven times? Come on, man. Try seven times 70 times. And according to my wife, the former math teacher, that's 490. That's a lot. That's a lot of forgiveness here. That is a lot of grace that we are encouraged to, to offer. That's like a lifetime of grace. But at the same time, that's our promise. That as a community of faithful people, we are not immune to conflict. We aren't. Because for two or more gathered, there will be conflict. There will be disagreement. But instead, when we inevitably meet that conflict, when it arises, our response is going to be rooted in grace and love that will provide space for resurrection and new relationships. Paul reminds us in his epistle this day, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We, as good, law-abiding Lutherans, like to hold law and gospel side by side. And we do it successfully when we do it in love. When we see that the law is God's love for us, when we see the gospel is God's love for us, that when we find the opportunity, we seek not retribution, but reconciliation. And so, as a congregation coming back together, ready for the fall, gathering in small groups and singing together and learning together, I hope that at the center of our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation that we may be defined how it is that we respond when we've hurt each other, when we've sinned against each other, 
when we inevitably fall short of the expectations we have for the church and realize we are not perfect, but Christ in whose name we gather is, and therefore we are too. Thanks be to God for that gift this day and always. Amen.